Well, about seven years ago, I remember getting together with our leadership and we started talking about a strategic plan for the future of Southwest Christian Church. And throughout the years, we talk about possibly moving from Washington. Many awesome memories there, some of an awkward conversation because we had been there for so long. There were so many awesome memories there, so many opportunities for ministries and service. And we sat down and we started talking about that. And uh, we knew that the church was, had been in a little bit of a slow decline for years, and um, we needed to address that issue, and it was, it was hard to talk about. Y'all know how it is sometimes. There's things you're facing, you know are there, but you just don't want to talk about them because they're hard to talk about. But we started talking about them, and I remember something like this statement was said. We've got a couple of choices. We can stay here at Washington Road, but if we stay here at Washington Road, we're going to have to become a dramatically different church. That means our staff is going to have to change dramatically. That means our worship is going to have to change dramatically. That means that our, the, the whole culture here is going to have to change dramatically in order for us to really be able to minister and serve in this area like we once did because it's changed so dramatically in the last few years. And it was like this. It was like crickets. There was a bunch of leaders looking at their shoes. Nobody wanted to say anything. How do we become dramatically different? We have been this church for, at that time, 56 years or so, and God has done tremendous things through us all over the world in this community. How do we become somebody that they're dramatically different? I, I don't know how to do that. And that's the silence and everybody staring at their shoes. That's what it was. We don't know how to become dramatically different. And then somebody said, or choice number two is, is that we can relocate the church into an area where a lot of our folks have moved to and in close proximity to hopefully the others in an area that's growing and that we feel like we can continue to be who we are and still minister to people. And at least a few head, heads popped up at that point and nodded a little bit and said, yeah, maybe Maybe that's what it is. But nobody got really excited even about that because, again, this had been our home for so long. We had so many memories. Bill Hybels said this about the word vision. He said, vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in people. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in people. And we were... Set, talking about the future, but guess what? There wasn't a lot of passion about that picture of the future. It's moving from our home. That was a hard thing for us to try to grasp. It produced not necessarily passion at that moment. It produced sadness, leaving behind so many great memories and, and so many times of service and just ministry. It produced anxiety and fear. Hey, how are we going to do this? How do we move to a new place and start all over again? How is that going to look? When do we start? How do we start? What if this is the wrong thing to do? I can't tell you how many times we th said, I think I hear you, God, but I'm not sure because this is hard. And we ran up against a lot of obstacles. It produced criticism. Why are we doing this? Why are we changing? Why are we leaving this community to go somewhere else? But it did on that day produce a spark of passion in some people, enough people that would face that situation head on and truly say, God, help us make the right decision because we want your will 
not ours. And so we as a leadership decided that was the right thing to do. And we brought it before the congregation and said, okay, this is what the leadership has proposed. We think we want to relocate the church. And I remember it was a kind of a tense moment, but about 80 to 90% of the congregation said it's the right thing to do. It's hard to face that, but you as a leadership have faced that, and we, we understand that's what you think we ought to do. And even some of the ones that voted against it said, you know what, I voted against it, but I still think it's the right thing to do. I just can't vote for that. It's just too hard emotionally for me to give you that vote. And so, a lot of anxiety. Howison voted on that. And even with that vote, there was still a lot of fear. There was still a lot of anxiety. How is this going to happen? But somehow, some way, through God's grace and God's wisdom, over slowly, is that not true? Slowly, over the last seven years, God's vision has produced a picture of the future, and has it produced passion this morning, y'all? Absolutely. Finally, slowly, he started producing that picture of passion for us of the future and what that could look like. And yes, we had failures along the way, lots of them, lots of failures along the way, but God in his grace, you know what? He gave us more successes than failures to get us here. And we had arguments and disagreements along the way, didn't we? Those on the building and on the staff, my goodness. This color, that color, this many rooms, this many stories, this land. I, oh my goodness, this contractor. Y'all know we went through all that. But somehow, again, through God's grace and wisdom, we came together, together when it mattered most and made the decisions we had to make to make this thing go forward. And yes, we had members of the body during that time. It was hard, y'all. Y'all know. Some people left during those times. And for whatever reason, God said to these people, I'm leaving and we're going somewhere else. God put on your heart to go somewhere else. And it was hard to take that because we started to see people leave because that passion wasn't quite with them. They didn't quite feel that and so they left. You know that during those seven years, we had 11 different staff turnover. In those seven years, I have been a part of over 60 funerals. And I think back and go, is that possible in that seven-year span? And those were people that we loved and we cared about and that were a part of us. But somehow, it, you know, that's just part of life. And I tell you, I was down sometimes during those first few years when we started seeing people leave. And you thought, man, am I, am I or we as a leadership or we as a church casting the wrong vision because it just doesn't seem the right thing to do when all these people are living, leaving. Well, a lady came up to me, and I think it was on a Wednesday night, and I remember standing in the gym at Southwest on Washington Road, and she reminded me of a story from Judges 7 about a guy named Gideon. Y'all have probably heard of him before. And she reminded me that you remember when Gideon was called by God to go after the Midianites, and he says, how many guys you got? And he says, 32,000. He goes, that's way too many. And he's going, What? What do you mean that's too many? He goes, yeah, you're going to have to whittle that down a little bit. And I think I'm probably doing the 20 or 22,000. But eventually what happened, God says, you know, go, to the, go down to the lake and, and certain guys will drink a certain way. And the ones that drink this certain way from their hands, lapping from their hands, those are the guys you take. And there was only 300. How do we go from 32,000 to 300? How is that possible? How are we possibly going to defeat the Midianites that way Gideon was thinking? 
but God's going, saying, hey, I don't want there to be any chance that you take any credit for this. You're going to know that when you do this with 300 men, it had to be God because there's no way we could do it with 300 people. You will never know how much that meant to me. She's the one. And she reminded me of that. You remember, don't you? Yep. That meant so much to me because I was, I, was, I, was, I was hurting, you know? It was, it was hard. But I that's right. The whole Bible, y'all, is full of stories like that where God says, you're not going to do it. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You don't have enough talent. You can't do it on your own. But if you will allow me to work through you, I will do it. And that's what God has reminded us all along the way, that that's how he does things. And y'all, we had a lot of amazing new members come to this body and show up when we made that decision. When we moved down to Arbor Springs Elementary and started meeting in that school, there were so many of y'all that came into that school and you gave us a shot. You gave us a shot. You didn't really know who we were. Some of you may have heard our name. Some of you said, we just saw your sign. There's a new church we came in to see but you gave us a shot. You believed in a vision that we were casting even though it was in metal chairs in a, in a lunchroom in an elementary school and the air didn't work half the time. Y'all remember that? And the sound was bouncing all over the place. Y'all remember that? But you know what? I thank y'all so much. Those of you who came to Arbor Springs and joined with us when we first moved down here, I can't thank you enough for sticking with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And those of you who stayed in East Point and held the fort down while we thought we were going to sell that building so fast, you remember that? Still waiting, but we're real close, y'all. We're real close. And thank y'all for those of you who stayed and held down the fort there and helped keep the vision alive there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And things seem slow at times, and somehow even though it seems so slow at times. I know some of you go, when in the world are they going to start building that church? You know you said it. We said it. That land's just sitting there with that sign on it. It ain't getting built. You know, we thought it. We thought about it. But in God's timing, somehow in his timing has led us, God's timing, he has led us. Times things started going too fast and it felt out of control. And again, through God's timing, he has led us to this day anyway. And yes, people criticized us. People second-guessed us in the vision. But somehow, some way, God empowered ordinary people who were flawed like me and everybody else that was a part of it. He reminded us that you are my workmanship and I will do good works through you that I've planned in advance for you to do. You can't mess up my vision. I'll take care of that. And he has. And throughout this journey, one of the names and accounts from the Bible that has come up again and again has been Nehemiah. Alan and I and a lot of our, a lot of our leadership, I know Alan loves that story of Nehemiah in the Bible. And it's, a, it's an amazing story. So I'm going to just kind of give a little synopsis. Some of you are going, yeah, that's an awesome story. And some of you are going, I'm going to fake it and go, yeah, Nehemiah, I know what you're talking about, but I have no idea. Never read that story. I know it's in there somewhere, but I've never read it. It's an awesome story. I'm just going to give you a little synopsis. So in Nehemiah, he lived during the 5th the, the century before Christ came and after Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., they were sent into exile for 70 years into Babylon. They came in, destroyed Jerusalem, and in those days, they just took people out. Don't let them rebuild, just take them out, exile them somewhere else. 
so they can't be back in their home anymore. And that was exactly what God said was going to happen through many of his prophets for 70 years. And so after those 70 years, there was a new world power, the Persians, and they allowed some of the Jews to return to to Jerusalem and start to rebuild. And eventually, over the next hundred years, a few more Jews were allowed to go back to their home in Jerusalem, and they did, and they started rebuilding, and they rebuilt the temple. But the temple was only a shell of what its former majesty was, and people knew that, but at least it was a start. And the city was scarcely populated like it was in the glory days for Jerusalem. But into this situation, Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the Persian king at the time, Artaxerxes, he received this vision from God calling him to rebuild the walls and going, hey, it's in ruins. That's our home. That's where God set us up. Something has to be done, and I think God's calling me to do it. And he went to the king, and he prayed, and the king said, what, what, you know, what's the problem? Why are you so sad today? He goes, how can I not be sad when my home is in ruins? And he goes, well, what do you want to do? And Nehemiah knew that God was answering his prayer. He says, okay, tell me what you need and I'll let you go. And he went. And into this situation he went. And this God-given vision initially took some time to produce passion in those people because they thought, we're in ruins. How is it ever going to be like it was before? But God's vision certainly produced. Nehemiah prayed picture of the future for Nehemiah and he took that vision forward. Nehemiah prayed passionately. He planned passionately. He dealt passionately with all the opposition that came with trying to do this rebuild from outside enemies and then even from internal opposition. He administered and governed with passion. He strategized with passion. He humbly carried out God's vision consistently day after day after day through all these different obstacles. And he always, always gave God the credit through all of it. And he was a humble servant. And as a result, Nehemiah encouraged, he equipped, and he motivated this group of, uh, this remnant of Jews that were left in Jerusalem. He motivated them who had returned to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They'd been living there, but nobody thought about rebuilding, but he motivated them to. And in 52 days, under extreme opposition, they rebuilt those walls. And what that did for that group of people was amazing. It's a great story. I want to read just a little bit about the amazing celebration that they had after they rebuilt these walls. Now, there was no accident today that in, in this, this account of Nehemiah that there were two choirs that celebrated on that wall. And so Alan said, we're having two choirs <laughs> on, the, on that celebration day. And we did, this great choir of adults. And you saw our little ones come up. So we're being biblical this morning. That's a good thing, isn't it? So they celebrate. Listen to, to what it says in, in Nehemiah 9. I believe some of it's going to be up on the screen. There we go. Oh, that's awesome. That's so fun to do that. All right. So, so they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. So I know y'all are going, golly, this is going to be a long service. For a quarter of a day, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God. And for a quarter of the day, they spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. So when y'all leave here, y'all need to spend a quarter of the day in confession, all right? But this is what they did. And the Levites, and I'm not going to try to read all those names, but they said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. 
They're saying this to God. God, you've brought us out of where we were to where we are now, and we're giving you worship. And so when we read that, it reminds us of the celebration that was going on there. And then they took some time and they went through from Abram, when God called Abram, all the way through the history of Israel. And that cyclical thing where they were in good standing with God, then they started getting away and God would send a prophet up and they'd say, ah, you're getting away from what I've called you to be and do. And then they'd say, oh, okay, we'll straighten up. And they'd say, ah, that prophet's crazy, don't listen to him. And then finally, the destruction would come and say, I told you. I told you to be who I've called you or I'm going to let somebody else take over and it would happen. And then they'd be taken over by an enemy and then they'd say, oh God, we're sorry and they'd repent and then the whole cycle would start over again. We see that throughout the Old Testament. So they talk about that. But then, in a, I think it's in the ninth chapter, it says, if we can get that up there, verses 30 and 31. For many years you were patient with them, talking about their own people. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But you, in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. They're acknowledging who God is. They realize all this thing that has happened to our nation, you told us it would happen. And now we're repenting, God. We understand what you were saying. And then in chapter 12, we're going to talk about the two choirs. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I. This is Nehemiah narrating here from his his account, together with half the officials. And also, and those names, and the choir sang under the direction of that name. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. And when I saw all those pictures of our missions, do you realize the sound of praising God is all over the place, all over the world today? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Through technology. That's awesome. But the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem was more than just a physical project, more than just a physical reconstruction of the walls. It was more than a rebuilding of the leadership and the political structure that was going on in Jerusalem in that time. It was a spiritual reconstruction of what worship was supposed to be to God, a renewal of the people to God and how he had chosen to show the rest of the world what a relationship with him was all about. That's why God chose them. I want to show the rest of the world a reflection of what it means to have a relationship with God, and you are to reflect that. And when you worship other gods and you have other things that take priority above me, that shows the world that this is not important to you. But now in this celebration, they're going, you're right. We know what's important. We want to get back to that. So it's so much more than just a physical reconstruction. Though they had failed God, this, through this small remnant, God was showing. He was saying, through my grace and my power, I will not ever give up on you, and I will always have a remnant of my people, no matter how grave it may look. But as great as a leader as Nehemiah was, and as great as they were as a leader politically, construction-wise, all those things, as great as they were that they achieved there in Jerusalem, Nehemiah could not save himself or his people ultimately from his, their sins, could he? That did not save them. And as great as the accomplishments are, they would need Jesus Christ who would come out of that remnant. Do you realize that? Out of that remnant that was almost gone, Jesus Christ came out of that. He was predicted from the beginning of time to come out of that remnant, and he did. And he ultimately came not to save their wall, not to save their temple, not to even save their culture, but to save them 
from their sins. And that's really what they needed. And as great as the accomplishment is of building this building and moving the church from Washington Road to Highway 29, that's a great accomplishment. It does not and cannot save anyone from their sins, can it? But this is a tool. We need Jesus Christ to save us, to resurrect us, and make us into who He's always created us to be. A child of God. And the good news is, is that Jesus has already done that. Through His life, death, and resurrection, He has given us that new life. And we can accept that and live out our true identity in Him if we will just accept Him into our lives and believe that and live that. And this church has been committed to sharing that message all 63 years. And it's going to continue. We may be in a new location. We may be in a new building. But we must never lose sight of the great commission that Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all the world. And it starts right here. He said, you start in Jerusalem and go into Judea and to Samaria and to all the worlds. Well, we're going to start right here in Nuda, in the Coweta County, in Georgia, in the United States. And you saw we're already all over the world and we're a small part of that. But isn't that awesome? That message, that commission is continued. And we can't lose sight of that. Because here's the deal, y'all. Shortly after that, if you go to the end of Nehemiah, and I'll let you go and do that for homework... But they started getting back to their old ways and forgetting about God again very, very soon. It happens. But we must not lose sight of that. The great vision that God has given us to produce for other people that will come through these doors a picture of the future that produces passion in them. And let me tell you something, y'all. Our world needs passion, don't they? I heard about two people who seem to be on top of the world this week, and you probably heard it too, that committed suicide. It looked like for all the world, those people had everything, money and fame and power, and they killed themselves. That breaks my heart, and I don't even know them. So they need to have a picture of the future that produces passion, and that's what God's called us to do through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would guess all of you somewhere are here today because somewhere at some point in your life, all of you somewhere connected with Jesus Christ, and you're here to celebrate that. And I think a lot of you, obviously, that connection came through Southwest Christian Church, but it was ultimately through the church that you connected with Christ, whether it was through a Sunday school class, a softball team, a basketball team, a youth group, uh, a retreat, a uh, uh, Dixie Christian Camp, if I can even bring that one up, okay? I mean, all the different things, somebody that you connected through, a hospital visit, all these different things we have connected through Southwest, but ultimately we connected to Christ. And that's why you're here today, because that brings up, he's like, that was the time my life turned around. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church like that. So this morning, we want to offer the opportunity. I know I was only supposed to do a sermonette, but it's hard to do that. I want to offer this morning an opportunity for you to grasp hold of that vision for your life. And I know of some that are coming this morning. I'm really excited about that. But there may be somebody else. And we want to give you that opportunity this morning to name Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And recognize through His life and through His death and through His resurrection, you now can have a picture of the future that produces a passion in you. Not just today, but every single day. And we want to offer that opportunity this morning. 